Hey everyone, it's Blake. We are getting very close here to the 100th episode of the show. And for the 100th episode, I am going to finally do an episode that you guys have been asking for for quite a while, which is an episode about me and what it's like to have a podcast, how I started my podcast, any sorts of questions like that. So I'm going to have my wife interview me for that episode, but I wanted to get all of the questions from you. So if you have a question that you would like to ask me about myself or about the show or whatever it is, having a podcast, to start a podcast, feel free to email me at blake at halfhourintern.com or you can just click on the email icon at the bottom right of the halfhourintern.com homepage. Thanks so much. On to the show. Sometimes this, the circumstances are not innocent. You know, sometimes we've got these really suspicious circumstances where there's foul play or someone's clearly, there's a cover up, the, the, the pieces aren't adding up real fast. You see something and there's a red flag that pops up and you're just like, huh. I do not understand what is happening here. I want to be my current self from this point forward. I want to learn how to play piano. Working with human beings. Drinking wine in the middle of the day. I want to be a fire truck driver. I'm going to be the next greatest painter. Just kind of work with kids, getting them ahead in life. I want to be a welder. I want to be a beach bum. I want to be a baseball player. Brewmaster. A winemaker. Professional snuggler. Let me mention those sweet, hot lavender baths and writing in the evening. What's up, everybody? This is Blake Fletcher, the Half Hour Intern. In today's episode, I interview Sarah Sipniewski, who is a pet detective. She's the owner of Ninja Dog Concepts in Los Angeles, California, and she helps people find their lost pets. As the intro clip alluded to in the interview, we will discuss how sometimes actually foul play can be involved and things aren't quite as they seem when there is a missing pet case. We'll also talk about how to prevent losing your pet in the first place, as well as what steps to take if you do lose your pet, um, like how the first 36 hours are really crucial, what sorts of things you should do, and uh, we'll learn a lot more interesting stuff about Sarah and what she does for a living. Without further ado, here is Pet Detective. Sarah, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. Hey, Blake. Thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, I am so stoked to do this interview right now. Uh, sometimes, uh, like when I interview people, it's uh, I get excited because it's like the thing doesn't sound that exciting. So it's like I'm sure there's a lot more to this because and, you know I almost like really want to uncover what could be exciting about it. This is the exact opposite of that, where it just sounds totally insane that someone actually does this, and I can't wait to learn more about it. So why don't we start with what inspired you to become a lost pet specialist or a pet detective or whatever term you want to call yourself? What made this occur to you one day as a thing to do? Uh, well, in, this goes all the way back to 2010 when I was living the life as a nine to fiver and I decided to leave because I needed to change a pace. And so I wasn't exactly sure what I wanted to do. I was going to try freelance editing and writing um, and then we had um, a, a pet photography business. So it was kind of like doing a mix and match of entrepreneur stuff and freelance stuff. And in addition to that, volunteering for animal rescues. And one day, one of the dogs from the rescue got out from a 4th of July party. And they sent an email around all panicky asking for volunteers to please help flyer the area and help us get tips and that sort of thing. And because I had just taken leave from my regular schedule, I had time to donate. So I raised my hand and said, sure, I can, I can put up flyers, but 
you know, I was really curious about what else could be done besides that. So I quickly jumped on Google, did some searching, and it was really clear really fast that there are already people out there who have done a little bit of research and a little bit of, um, they have a bit of experience in this, and there are actual strategies that people can use to bring home pets more successfully than other things. And so I was like, hey, guys, look at all this stuff we can do. So I quickly, um, I put up a Facebook page for the dog, and we got together. I have a background in logistics and event production, so I sort of called on that um, skill set. Wow, yeah, what a perfect skill set. Yeah, and so I was just like, all right, here's a map. I got Google Maps up. I was like putting things on the map. I was, you know, setting a volunteer time. Okay, here are the supplies. And then basically in three days, we had this tiny little chihuahua named Bella back. We had found her. She was cowered on the side of a freeway on-ramp uh way beyond it was like a mile mile and a half from where she had gotten out and nobody would have thought to look there but basically what had happened was we sent out enough flyers we sent out enough emails and uh this was actually an incredible story of how she got found was um we had sent out an email blast and somebody who didn't know how they got on our list received the email and she wrote back and said oh my gosh I tried to catch this dog yesterday as I was getting on the freeway <laughs> and I saw her on the side. She's very small, but I'm pregnant. And so when I tried to run after her, she ran behind a fence and I couldn't scale the fence. Uh, so I had to give up. But sure enough, we went right to that on-ramp and she was still there like 12 hours later and we were able to, to coax her. And by the time we got there, LAPD was also on the scene just randomly um, checking out a homeless encampment that was there. And so they got involved and everybody worked together and and Bella was found. And that was the first time I ever had any experience with it. And at that point, it wasn't a business, obviously. It was just a random act of kindness, I guess, that I participated in. And was it immediately after that that you were like, I think I can do this? Or was there a little bit more to it? Well, after that happened, I think it was maybe a week later that it happened with another rescue and word got around and said hey sarah just did this maybe she can help you too and so i was like yes and i jumped into that case and we got that we got that dog scarlet and um this went on for a couple of months and finally i was like uh i'm driving around town i'm burning gas burning money burning supplies i do not have i'm a, I'm a writer i'm not making any money and so um after much ethical debate within my own self, I decided to turn it into a business. Okay, cool. So let's talk about that business. So like, what the hell do you do? Like, <laughs> what, what are some of the key things that you need to do in your role to help people find a dog? Okay, well, the first thing, I'm actually, more than anything, I'm a psychologist. Um, people are coming to me, strangers, total strangers are calling me at the worst time of their life. So I'm meeting people while they're having a total breakdown. And so my first task is to sort of center them and, and comfort them and make them understand that I have gone through this many times before and there are steps that we can take to find their lost pet. Um, so that's, that's step number one. And then beyond that, it's just a combination of logistics, um, social media, mavenness, and uh, volunteer recruitment and management and a little bit of like fearlessness and creativity because you sort of have to push the envelope when it comes to uh, trying to find a pet, you know, because it's not like a lost person that can see their own photo on the news. 
So you really have to get a little bit down and dirty and use your um, thinking cap <laughs> when you're out there trying to figure out, okay, well, where is this cat? You know, has she crawled under the house? <laughs> like, is she in the alley? So, you know, um, there's this whole mix of skill sets and experiences and, and characteristics too, because you're not just dealing with, again, you're not just dealing with these pets, but you're, you're dealing mostly with humans. And so um, it's interesting. You have to have quite a quite a mix <laughs> so it probably really is a lot like a detective role uh, like a you mentioned the psychologist piece to get the the pet owner to calm down kind of to the point that they can they can help the situation out but then i imagine there's a little bit of detective work then of talking about trying to like figure out what this animal is all about and what their habits are and stuff like that yes that is so true um I do an intake with every client and we go over every single detail about the animal and also about the circumstance of escape because each element will change the approach slightly. So if you've got like, for example, a cat versus a dog, generally cats are hiders and they are close. They're within a block or two. Uh, dogs generally are runners and they, the ground that they cover is more than a cat would, would. So, um, you know, that's just a very basic example, but you know, you, we really get into it. We want to know, is the pet friendly? Are they typically shy? Did they get out of their own house or w were they with a pet sitter? And sometimes this, the circumstances are not innocent. You know, sometimes we've got these really suspicious circumstances where there's foul play or someone's clearly, there's a cover up. The, the, the pieces aren't adding up real fast. You see something and there's a red flag that pops up and you're just like, huh. I do not understand what is happening here. And so then that's really when the detective work begins because you have to keep, you know, you have to essentially talk to, to people who are hiding something. So Whoa, this is crazy. So do yeah. you mean that sometimes the pet owner themselves has kind of fabricated the whole thing? Or do you mean that like, let's say they have a pet sitter that when they start talking to you about the pet sitter, it becomes evident to you that maybe the pet sitter like took the dog or something like that? You know, there. <laughs> from doing this for as long as I have, I have I have come to realize that nothing is impossible and nothing is as it seems. Most likely, when I talk about suspicious circumstances, you're going to get a third party involved. So it's like the pet sitter has done something, or maybe it's it's a relative or a spouse where the pet has come into. You know, there was an accident or something freaky happened, but they're too ashamed to admit it. And I mean, I've been on cases where like. The wife has been out of town. The husband's been at home with the dog. The dog got out, got hit by a car and died. But the husband cannot bring himself to tell the wife. So they go on this wild goose chase only for us to find the dog dead. Sarah, that is insane. I can't believe that. It, I mean, so it's really what, messed up. What happened? Like, I can't imagine the awkwardness of, of being involved in a situation like that. Yeah, it's... Um, it requires a lot of finesse. It requires a lot of um, discretion because you don't want to um, you don't want to show your hand, right? So if you're talking to the wife or you're talking to the husband and you're hearing two different stories, um, you sort of have to play both sides of the table. Mm, interesting. It's, it's 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 wild, and you know, and you get into family dynamics. I mean. Is there, this, there's another unfortunate correlation that happens a lot. I don't know why this happens, but a lot of times um, pets will go missing during a very tragic 
time in a family's life. Like the, the grandmother is in the hospital for cancer or something like that. And her dog goes missing because of all the commotion, right? Like the dog is being pets it by someone else, you know, in a family. So you've got the grandmother in the hospital dying. Plus you have this family who's, who's with, with the grandma, but then someone else has to look for the dog. I mean, and then you get into this whole big mess. And then sometimes, you know, sometimes you've got a family who's sort of split on what to do. Um, let's say there's no foul play. The, the dog generally got out. They don't know what happened, but one side of the family wants to look for the dog and the other side of the family does not want to look for the dog. Mm. Um, so there are, yeah, there's lots of dynamics. And so you're constant, I'm constantly having to read people, uh, meet them where they're at. And above all, you re- like, I really have to refrain from judging people. You know, that that's the only way we'll get information is to always be open um, calm and act like you're friends with whoever you're talking to, you know, man, that's so interesting. All the dynamics and the layers to everything. I, I just would have never thought of any of that. I know it's wild, it's super wild. So talk about some of the different approaches and things that you have to do or consider maybe depending on the species of the dog. So like, let's focus on dogs here for a second. Um, are there considerations like for a small Chihuahua versus a Great Dane or something like that? Yeah. And, um, and there are other elements too. So let so if it's a Chihuahua, he's small, he's cute. If he's not, let's say he's very friendly, he'll go up and he'll approach people regularly. So the chances are probably pretty good that he was picked up, um, because he's cute. He's easy, uh, to transport. Um, whereas a great Dane, he's huge. Someone might be afraid of him. Um, so so the Great Dane is going to have more, like the, it's more likely that the Great Dane will still be out on the loose somewhere because people will not want to approach him or um, not be able, like they might not feel physically able to wrangle him or something. So the key with that will be lots of marketing uh, right out of the gate. Same thing with the Chihuahua, but um, you know, you're you're also considering the fact that he perhaps could be stolen and possibly what we call, excuse me, what we call flipped, which is sold right away on the street. Um, that's, that's our main concern when we see a small, cute dog, especially if it's like a very popular or designer breed. Um, we always, we always worry about that right out of the gate is like, Oh my gosh, my tiny little teacup poodle was stolen, uh, yesterday from my yard. And so then we immediately go into like Craigslist, we like I I have this whole different identity that I use to pose as like a a purchaser a buyer of animals. So I try to like, you know, look look through ads that that might be advertising this this missing pet. That's so um, sad. I can't believe that's an actual thing. It's it yeah. It's actually it's 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 something that got popular when the recession hit because people were looking to make a quick buck, and it sort of stayed in the public's eye. A lot of times because you see the stories on the news. Um, and so this is actually a cautionary piece of information for people because there are so many people who still leave their pets unattended. For example, they might tie him up when they go to grab a cup of coffee. You know, what is it? Five minutes, 10 minutes. You can kind of see the dog from the window. But dude, in fact, one of my one of my colleagues in New York just last week, one of my lost and found um, pet colleagues, she saw a dog tied up outside of a grocery store. And as we types are prone to do, she stayed with the dog, pet the dog, made sure that nobody would run off with the dog. So she 
she scratched it and pet it and watched the dog. And then finally the owner came, got the dog and walked away. Well, the next day, my friend saw posters for that same dog that it was missing. And what she had witnessed was not the owner coming for the dog, but she witnessed it being stolen. What? No way. Isn't that Dude, how up? brazen to just do that, like right in front of someone. So um, I, haven't, I haven't been able to catch up with her to, to see what the latest on the case is. But the point is, people are brazen. They, are, they can sell it like you wouldn't believe. So you just, just really be careful. Like I, I can't stress enough. I'm always watching pets who are tied up because of that very scenario it happens more than you think same thing with cars people do you know that like especially in la i don't know what the deal is but people have been stealing cars with pets in them unknowingly like they'll they'll, they'll see a car running in like a like a grocery store parking lot or something jump in to steal the car and the dog will be in the back seat and then and then they're gone they're gone forever damn dude i know it's real harsh that's crazy All right. So that's good advice. Let's stick on this topic of advice here for a little bit. So let's talk about um, some advice for pet owners to prevent your pet from getting lost or stolen in the first place. So we kind of touched on some of the stolen stuff. Um, Like, how can you prevent your pet from getting lost or running away? Uh, Well, it's really the first step is getting your mindset, like letting go of the it cannot happen to me mentality. I think that is the most important piece of it even even myself who i you know i do this for a living i mean our poor dogs (laughs) they're on like lockdown over here so we do things like we always keep their tags their collars and their identification tags on them we never open the door like our front door to our house until we've done a full head count inside the house so we know where all the dogs are at we use baby gates like let's say there are, are guests coming over for a barbecue or something we'll baby gate the dogs in another room just while people are coming and going so that the dogs don't accidentally slip out of the gate because people who visit your house, they are not used to these pets coming and going and they don't realize how fast something like that can happen, you know, and people are having a good time. They're not really paying attention to the dog. So it's just a, it's just a good practice to get into, to think about, okay, well maybe I could just secure them while the transition happens. You know, and same thing with holidays or like Halloween or anytime you've got people who are not normally at your house, like opening and shutting your door, like a lot. And the other thing, actually, this kind of is related to it. Um, a lot of pets go missing when um, gardeners or landscapers or any type of regular maintenance people come. I, I can't tell you how many times the client will begin the conversation with, well, my gardener left the gate open and then the dog goes. So um, that another great way to prevent that is just when you get home from work if your if your gardener has been there make sure you check all the gates and all the fences before you let your dog out um i mean it seems really simple but people just forget it's just not on their radar yeah totally totally so just basically keep your radar up at all times just don't forget yeah i mean we get complacent you know we get lazy um another common thing that happens is when somebody adopts a new pet they're totally out of sorts they're not used to their new environment and new sounds and so what can happen a lot especially with rescue dogs or foster dogs is that they slip out of their collar or their harness while on a walk because something spooks them whether it's a loud noise or another dog or something and so that's where a lot of my cases start too is oh my gosh our rescue dog or our foster dog has 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 slipped out of the collar and so not only are they loose but they have no identification Mm, which makes it even more difficult of course yeah 
So let's talk about your role then. So what is your, let's say, first 48 hours like? I imagine that's probably like a crucial time window of sorts. Yeah, the first 48, super crucial. In fact, just as like an interesting tidbit, um, anybody who starts action of any type, whether it's with me or themselves, within 36 hours of escape has like a 90% recovery rate of, of the cases that I've worked on and of the cases I've followed. So wow. getting started immediately on anything, it doesn't have to be everything, but something is key. So in those first 48, what we do is the first thing is I usually will get out what's called a robocall. And this is not a service I provide, but there are other companies that do. And what they do is you jump on their website, you fill out some information, put up a picture, and then um, you purchase a radius. And then they will release a call to everybody who lives in that area. And it's like, attention, your neighbor has lost Fluffy, and Fluffy is a little Maltese, blah, 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 blah. That's incredible. And, I didn't know yeah. that you could like purchase that service. I thought only like the government had access to that. No, they, there, are, there are a few companies out there that do this for pets, and it's an incredible tool because you can put that to, like, to work for you immediately while you're doing other things. So you get that going first. Um, then it sort of comes in a huge wave. You want to get like a Facebook page started for the pet. Now I say Facebook page because eventually you're going to have people who are wanting to volunteer. You want a, a central location for them to come. You also want a central location for information to be shared. Um, what's also great about Facebook is you can run the ads. So that increases your exposure. Uh, so I just, I love Facebook for, for a lost pet campaign. I also love other web-based stuff like Craigslist is important. You want to get an ad up on Craigslist pronto. You also, um, want to get something up on there's a there's an app like a new website called next door and um, it's like a neighborhood based website so you jump on there you put a little ad up and then after all of that web stuff is done, that's when i do the flyer um you know so so once you've got your web stuff working then you can take some time make a nice flyer and then hit the streets okay and, and then you just then you just go you just go like crazy until you get a tip um, and you're chasing you're chasing leads until you you close in on the pet. But that those first like 36 hours, it's all a marketing campaign because unless unless you you are like right behind your cat or your dog or your bird or whatever, like when he gets out, unless you see him physically leave your property, like you've already lost time. Yeah. So it's better just to to like throw stuff up into the world so that other people can start looking too. Yes, yeah, so there's a chance that somebody can see your ad that has also seen your pet. Yes. Um, so let's talk about the negative, the, the, this not succeeding. Like at what mm -hmm. point do you stop? Like at what point are you like, all right, I don't think this is going to work out. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I, um, I work with my clients very closely and I always tell them it's a very personal journey. And so I really, I follow their lead now in terms of, um, like my experience and how, how long I've gone with people. I mean, we've reco I've recovered pets with people two, three months after they've gone missing. Um, and other cases around the country, around the world, you've seen pets return after years. Um, but can you feasibly maintain a lost pet campaign for years? No, probably not. Um, but what the, the little research that we have in the industry shows is that you should at least try your best for at least six weeks. Oh, wow. 
Um, and that's, you know, people are, um, that, that's hard to sustain for a lot of people. And so that's where I come in because people can't take off work. They, they have lives. And so I help, I help them reach that six week mark. Yeah. Let's talk about the type of person that could do this. If anyone listening is thinking like, that sounds pretty cool. Like, can anyone do this? Do you think like what would make someone really great at doing this? I think that, well, there are a lot of people out there that do this um, to some degree, whether that's just sitting on Facebook all day trying to match lost and found ads, or whether it's like people who volunteer what, what time they have after work and going out if they see something um, to try to chase the stray dog they found, whatever it is. Um, so there's a, there's a specific mix, though, I think, if you want to do this full time with, you know, with the setup that I have. Um, and I think the number one thing to, to know is that you're going to be dealing mostly with people, not animals. So right away that I think, how do I say it? Um, so animal people, the, those are the people who are most attracted, I think, to this type of work, this type of vocation, this type of volunteering, because they're, they're interested in helping the animals. And that's really what, what got me started was like, I care about the, do the dogs. I care about the cats. I want to help them. Um, but a lot of times, and I, I speak as an animal person myself, you know, a lot of times us animal people, we're not so great with people for whatever reason. <laughs> so, uh, so you have to have equal acumen with people as you do with, with animals. You have to be equally good with, with both sets of species. Um, so that's the first thing. You have to be great in a crisis. Uh, you cannot freak out. You really have to maintain like a very calm, professional, and almost like fake it till you make it attitude. Like there's a lot of times where I'm like, oh my gosh, we're never going to find this pet. We're never going to find this pet. And then the client's like, do you think we'll ever find Fluffy? And I'm like, yes, definitely. We will definitely find your pet. We will definitely <laughs> find, yeah. you know? So there's, you have to really present this calm, confident, rock solid, thing they can cling on to right and then you have to be super keen with logistics and the web and social media like you have to be a crack shot on all of that stuff you have to be able to make a google google map you have to be able to maintain a facebook page you have to know what different sites are out there and not be afraid of the internet and not be afraid of free stuff and also not be afraid of like pushing the envelope a little bit you know technically for example it's illegal to post flyers in most jurisdictions well whatever we throw up flyers anyway technically it's illegal to to trespass in many places well sometimes you know if it's 3 a.m and there's a dog over there then i'm gonna go get it you know yeah totally. Uh, so you have to be a little fearless too <laughs> yeah definitely <laughs> so talk a little bit about those times that you feel like quitting and kind of like pushing through that and what goes through your head Okay, so there are all kinds of things that that happen um, that aren't so pleasant about this work. Um, a lot of it, you know, the the worst days the worst days come when um, when something really tragic happens, like we find the pet deceased or we find the pet alive but with someone else who will not give the pet back. Um, and we see a really ugly side of people come out that judgmental, you don't deserve to have this pet back because he was loose without a collar or something like that, where you see this sort of side of people who theoretically, they mean well, but 
they they just they show you the most ugly side of themselves and and it just it makes me want to quit like every time i i encounter somebody who is like well um yes maybe this is the lost dog but you know what we're going to keep him and um there's nothing you can do about it so there and you know i've gone through some pretty nasty battles with different entities uh individuals or organizations and you know that's the stuff that makes me want to quit for sure it's it's so sad that people feel like they can just be so judgmental of other people like they somehow have some right to just it's very very sad of human nature what like what is any sort of ramification for someone like that i mean i it's not like a child like you can't you can't there's i is like is there paperwork that you could say no like legally that dog belongs to my client like what happens exactly it gets real tricky um pets are property so you have to prove that you know you've acquired that property legally um so typically a microchip will save will will solve the case um but sometimes people don't have a microchip in their pet before it goes missing, or sometimes the microchip um, fails. That happens a lot. Um, but theoretically, you would have any kind of paperwork, such as adoption paperwork or vet paperwork, um, sometimes even photos, anything that shows that you had possession of this animal previously. But, you know, there are laws in place. So, for example, in L.A., let's say a loose pet has been picked up and taken to the shelter. Well, the shelter, you know, it varies per shelter, but it's only a few days that they hold the animal under what's called a stray hold. It it can be as little as four days before the pet becomes available for public adoption. Wow. Yeah. So an owner has four days to figure out of the, there's like 10 or 12, probably more shelters in the, in the LA area. So where's my pet? I have four days to find him before someone else takes him. Uh, And that would be legal. That would be totally within, you know, the law if someone were to go to the shelter and adopt. And that's where it gets tricky because sometimes our sleuth, like the people who are online and and in the, in the like adoption and rescue communities and shelter communities, like they'll be like, Oh gosh, that dog was at this shelter three days ago. Quick, quick. Oh no, he was already adopted, but the, the shelter by law cannot release the, you know, the information of the new people. So um, yeah, it, it gets, it gets kind of tricky, but that's all, that's all done above board. There's nothing you can do about it. So that's why microchipping is so important. And ID is so important because that is ultimately what's going to hold up for you. Um, but let's say the the pet was just found by like a good, some good Samaritan or what have you, then it gets really tricky. Then you have to get the police involved. Yeah. Is, is there any sort of, so you talk about like getting the police involved or the way that you're having to operate with um, the people at a shelter or whatever it is. Is there any sort of um, like industry, like are, are, do they view you as like legitimate? You know what I'm saying? Or is it just like, all right, here's this lady, like we don't have to help <laughs> her out or, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, working with the shelter system is, is a bit tough. Um, in this area because it's such a huge like government entity and so there's a lot of bureaucracy and so typically um, you know it's a hit or miss thing right so some if they have time and especially if they have a good volunteer group at a particular shelter they are more willing to work with us and the client 
and do whatever they can. But a lot of times their hands are tied or the red tape is just too thick and there's not a lot they, they can do. Um, I mean, in a smaller jurisdiction, um, you know, where there's maybe like one animal shelter or something uh, in a smaller town, I'm sure they'd be more willing to to work with us, work with a person who has lost a pet and perhaps it was reclaimed by someone else. But here in LA, it's so big and so huge that it's tough. Um, but it's happened. I mean, it's happened where where people have said, okay, this dog was already adopted. Um, so then we just, we launched another marketing campaign. Like, have you adopted this dog in the last week? If so, please get in touch. You know, this was someone's dog, blah, blah, blah. And once in a while, someone will come forward and say, oh, wow, this is the dog. We just adopted him. But of course, like here, let, here you go. Um, but it's tough. It, it's, wow. it's mostly tough. Yeah, that's, that's really nice that that happens sometimes. It has to like restore your faith in people a little bit. Yeah, for sure. And that's what keeps us going. You know, on the days that, that like I want to quit, um, it's that moment, you know, that, that moment of reunion and recovery that keeps me going. And I'm like, I, you know, I talk myself back into it and say, yes, of course they will help. Of course I'm not going to quit. Of course we need to keep doing this because it's like that moment where you see this human who's totally depleted of resources they're exhausted they're they're so sad and beaten down and then you've got this dog who's so confused and you bring them both together and it is like emotion city it is it is wild there's a few videos i have of a few different reunions and it's just it it makes you cry it's it's amazing that's so cool if you have a particular day that like really really stands out to you a particular case what would be like one of the best days that you've ever had one of the best days that I've ever had doing this work um, was a few months ago. I was on a case for this dog named Buster, and he was a recent rescue. The people had had them had had him for um, oh, not very long, three weeks maybe, four weeks, when he got spooked on his nighttime walk. Something startled him, and he slipped backwards out of his harness, and he took off into the night. And they immediately looked for him, didn't find him. So I, I got on the case uh, maybe a week into it. I can't quite remember now. And they hired me full time until we, until we um, found him basically was the, the agreement. Because people can hire me at different levels. So this, this couple was, was particularly, they were my ideal client because they said, whatever, needs to do, whatever we need to do, we will do it just, you know, we just want to find him. And so there, you know, there was no expense spared. We had all the resources we needed and we just went hardcore for like a month, uh, for four weeks, I think, because it was, it was like a week longer than they had him. And so the day that we found him, this is how it went down. Um, I was, I was like somewhere else, like, People who don't live in LA won't mean anything to, but basically I was in Culver City doing some flyering on a bike path, which is maybe about mm, seven miles away from his escape point, maybe 10 miles away, something like that. Um, I'm flyering, it's about noon, and I get a call from my client, Christy, and she says, Someone just called. They think they see him on the rocks by the marina. And and in Marina del Rey in Los Angeles, you know, it's just this body of water and it goes out into the ocean. And there's a there's a nice walking path that goes along it. And and Christy and and her husband Chris and their family, they live there, um, kind of right in the marina, and that's where Buster got out from. And he 
he, we had, had no sightings of him for, for four weeks. For four weeks, every day, every night, we were going out doing crazy things, cooking bacon at 3 a.m., trying to lure him out of a hiding spot. Uh, <laughs> but nothing, nothing, no, no sightings. And we were suffering from the residents ripping down the posters and all this stuff. And so, um, so Christy calls me, oh, my gosh, stand by. There's a sighting. And I'm like, yeah, right. He's a skittish dog. He's not going to be seen in the middle of the day, whatever, but okay. So I, she's like, make your way over to the marina. So I'm making my way. I get in my car. I go over there. And as I'm driving, I keep getting all these texts. Oh, my gosh. Someone else sees him. He's, he's there. He's there. So at this point, the, the heart is racing. I'm like trying, trying to get there. I get there. There's a few of us because we've texted everybody. So there's maybe a handful of us. And he's, he's presumably in these rocks that are set along the water and um, it's where the, you know, it's where the water meets the shore essentially. And then the bike path is there. And so, um, he'd gone into hiding again, but, uh, but we didn't give up. So we, I was handing out flyers to everyone on the bike path. Hey guys, we just saw this dog. If you see him, please just call out, call out. And there was a kayaker in the water and, and we called out to her and we said, Hey, there's a dog on the rocks. Do you see him? No, no, I don't see him. Okay. Well, if you see him, just raise your paddle. Okay, great. So she like paddles on and we were crawling all over the rocks. And then, and then like five minutes later, the, the, the kayaker raises her paddle and we're like, oh my God, Buster. And so we race over to where she's seeing and he's there. He's, he's wedged himself so deeply into these rocks. It's maybe like, oh, I don't know, five, seven feet from the bike path to the actual water. And it's all rocks and that's where he's hiding. So his owner by now is there unseen. She climbs over. She's crawling around the rocks. Where's Buster? Where's Buster? No, no, we don't know. We can't see him. He's hiding. He's so scared. And this is very typical of a, of a lost dog, especially so long. They get very scared, even of their owners. And, um, and it took some doing, but little by little, uh, she was feeding him chicken. He popped his little nose out. And once he popped a paw out, she just went for it. She grabbed him. He yelped. We all like were we wanted to scream, but we knew that if we screamed, it would scare him. So we just were like silent. You could have heard a pin drop. All these strangers, we were just like watching this happen. And you saw her unearth this, this skinny little frightened dog. And he just clutched to her shoulders and wouldn't let go. And, and that was Buster. And it was four weeks of searching for this guy. And the whole time, it looked based on his weight loss that he had been hiding in those rocks the whole time. I right was going to say, like, what, what are these dogs eating when they get away like that? Well, I don't think he was eating much. I, 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 he, he, he looked bad. He looked like he had lost maybe half his weight. Wow. Um, so he did not do so well. A lot of times other pets will eat garbage, uh, handouts. You know, they're pretty resourceful. Um, I don't know. It depends on the breed of dog. Like there was, a, I had a, another case who was sort of lost in like a, a very wooded area and she was a border collie. So, um, she probably killed little things like mice or whatever to eat. Yeah. yeah. But, but yeah. So, so, so when we found Buster, I mean the tears, you know, the tears of Christy, the client, I mean, it's just, it's that exhausted, like heaving, sobbing, over it and like it's very hard to describe but it's like relief joy and like every single emotion that you could <laughs> experience all in one 
Yeah, that's that's awesome. It's crazy that you get to be a part of that more than once. For all, for all these other people, this thing is so emotional, and it happens one time, and that's oh, hopefully it happens one time for them, and that's it. And but you, it's just like over and over again. Yeah, I know. That's that's where the, that's where the need for a break comes in because I'm just like, oh my gosh, how many posters <laughs> can I go on? Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, so let's, uh, let's start to wind this thing down, Sarah, how much money can people make doing this if they wanted to try doing it? Uh, I think what's, I have my, my prices are kind of strange. You know, people can hire me at an hourly rate for just like one thing. So that's usually somewhere in the range of like, eh, like 30 to 50 an hour or, um, or sometimes people will hire me to do everything. Uh, so that's the full gamut, run command, you know, do everything. Uh, and that's pricey. That goes up to like a daily rate of like four to $600 a day. Um, but it's not like I'm, you know, like, again, I'm not taking, you're not able to take on many cases at once. So um, if you, if you wanted to do this, I would definitely recommend finding like a partner or a couple of people who wanted to go in with you so that you could provide like a nice structure like you had the 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 people power to offer um the opportunity to do a couple cases at once or help each other out uh i mean there's definitely a good a good opportunity here for the right person because there's not a lot of companies that do this uh and in fact very few most people who do this do it like as a volunteer basis yeah so so in that regard, let's leave people off with your info in case people are listening in the Los Angeles area, which I got plenty of listeners down there. So uh, where can they find you at if they ever uh, need help or if they want to volunteer their time? Yeah, totally. Uh, my website is ninjadogconcepts.com. Um, and I'm on Facebook. That's where I'm at mostly. So you can find me either of those two places and get involved. I'm always happy to welcome new people into the lost and found fold it's a great world cool awesome sarah thank you so much we really appreciate this thank you blake it has been a very very fun time hey everyone it's blake hope you all enjoyed the episode if you're sitting there thinking to yourself i wonder how i could help blake out first of all you are probably the nicest person in the entire world secondly all you have to do is just tell a friend about the show i would really appreciate it if you're sitting there and thinking man, my job is really interesting, or man, I do this totally badass hobby, I should totally be on this show, then you totally should be on the show. Just reach out to me on halfhourintern.com, my website. You can email me through there. And uh, if there is another job or hobby that you don't do, but you just want to hear about it, you can submit any sort of idea through the Submit Your Ideas link on the page. Thanks again for listening. Take care.